LGBTQS allies and caregivers, you are listening to our podcast, The Rare Advocates, a caregiver-worthy and rare disease podcast brought to you by Acardi Gutierrez Syndrome Advocacy Association, where we update you with the latest news and conversations around Acardi Gutierrez and rare diseases. My name is Betty, producer and marketing director, but most importantly, I'm mom of two little ones, the youngest one, Noah, who was recently diagnosed with a cardio tears earlier this year. The stories you're about to hear are close to my heart, and I hope they help you as much as they have helped me. Before we get started on today's episode, a special thanks to Ecamm Live, who gifted us this all-in-one live streaming and video production studio. With Ecamm Live, Video creation is easy, professional, and fully customizable. If you can think it, you can create it with Ecamm Live. And don't forget to join the conversation. We're now on all social media platforms. Be sure to subscribe and leave a comment or a review wherever you're listening to us from. We're thankful you're here, and we hope we can help you in this journey. In today's episode, we have Kyle, who will be sharing the story of their son, Wyatt, who was recently diagnosed with a cardiogutierrez syndrome this January 2022. We will be talking about the diagnosis, treatment obstacles, and present state. So right now, I'm going to go ahead and bring on Kyle to the screen. Hi, Kyle. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. I look forward to talking to you. I know these conversations are hard, but I'm very thankful you're here with us today. Okay. Anything I can share to help is what I'm aiming to do. Thank you so much, Kyle. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about when you and your wife started suspecting that there was something going on with Wyatt. So right around his second birthday, he was in a daycare program. So he had been sick a couple of times with some ear infections, but uh, his balance was off a little bit. He started to stumble, fall. So we weren't sure if it was an inner ear problem or if it was something else. We were seeing, uh, we made an appointment with an ear, nose and throat specialist. And he did say that he needed tubes. So we were thinking everything was inner ear related and i guess over a couple of visits we uh, with different ents we saw two different ents and the second one actually said that the his symptoms weren't didn't seem like they added up to an inner ear problem it was something a little bit bigger so he suggested that we see a neurologist and we went to a neurologist initially and didn't really have any any concrete diagnosis, but then that led to um, genetic counts, a uh, genetic test. So in, in between those appointments, um, we had an ER stay. So there was some issues that we had seen that were kind of leading us that it was maybe a little bit more than, than inner ear. So I guess that's what led us to the genetic testing um, to see if there was something underlying because before actually at a year we had a microarray just to, to I guess cast a, a wide net over you know some genetic conditions that um, for the the delays 
And that came back clear. The balance issue seemed like it, I guess, got worse, like exponentially, seemingly overnight. So we kind of, we had an MRI scheduled, but it was a week away. So we decided to go into the ER to see if we could get it a little bit quicker than that week out. We thought something was really going on. And that was last November is when we were in the ER. That's when we got the initial MRI that showed the uh, um, hyperintensity in the basal ganglia is what they said that was. And that kind of led to some genetic testing. Yes. And that must have been really tough. That's the first time hearing that, you know, trying to get some answers that would lead up to things, but then seeing things escalate, it must have been really scary to the point that you were like, you know what, let's go ahead and head to the ER and uh, then lead into the genetic testing. That ER stay was a four day stay. I mean, he had in an MRI, he had a lumbar puncture, he had hundreds of blood tests, and we left the ER after four days with no concrete diagnosis. I think what was the most traumatic for us was what all of the neurology team was was saying could be a potential diagnosis, and that was pretty grim. And I think the the worst part about that was kind of how they approached us with those diagnoses and the, the diagnoses that they were coming up with were, were really pretty traumatic for us because it was very grim. And, um, he was still pretty fairly mobile when we were in the, in the hospital. So he could still walk with some assistance and, and he was, he was still being able to use his hands. So those, those uh, diagnosis ideas from that neurology team was was pretty traumatic for us in, in the ER. Upon discharge, we didn't have any diagnosis, but a referral to see the, the genetic team for another genetic test, the whole gene sequencing test. So probably within a week of that discharge, we had the whole gene sequencing test between all three of us. So, and then that process, I mean, everybody knows that that process is not a, not a quick process. We waited for a couple of months before we heard anything. I guess his skills um, diminished over those couple of months until we finally got a diagnosis in January. So November was the ER stay. Yeah. January is when you actually received the diagnosis. How did that yeah. make you feel? How did that make you and your wife feel when you heard the news? <laughs> well, I mean, devastated. Like the and part of part of the devastation with that diagnosis was the genetic team didn't really genetic counselor really didn't know anything about it. The traumatic part of this diagnosis was that we didn't really have any support from the it seemed like we didn't have any support from the the genetic counselor who's supposed to counsel us through a genetic diagnosis and they didn't they just said hey we have we have a diagnosis here it is you're going to end up knowing more about this than us good luck is kind of how the conversation went so we're sitting here not knowing anything about it and we're both in the medical field so what do we do is we start researching it and and 
you can go down some rabbit holes and 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 really go to some dark places you know <laughs> pretty quickly when it's especially when it's your your child you as well as everybody else in this world knows how isolated you feel at when you're when you're trying to i guess you're trying to learn about it and and you're looking at what's life going to look like now and and it's you go through though that that period of adjustment and it's and that's that's hard <laughs> that's been the the hardest part for my wife and i is is just kind of trying to and we're still learning we're we're still learning what what the future is going to look like and kind of how to how to manage this you know when i'm hearing all these stories i just think back about my experience and it's it's a very scary time now, my next question to you is between January and hearing about the Jack inhibitors, when did you hear about that treatment or, and how did you hear about it? When you're doing this research, uh, Dr. Vandeveer comes up and clinical trials come up. So you're having to learn about the clinical trial and, and what that's all about. And about the same time, probably, probably a couple of months into it, uh, my wife found AGS uh, Facebook group, which has been an absolute, it, it was a game changer for this because it, there's so much information on the site and there's so many knowledgeable people and it, it's been an asset, an absolute asset for, for us as a family having to adjust and having to learn about this. And there's, there's a lot of people that have a lot of great information for me anyway, it was, it, it seemed like uh, it was way over my head, but what I understood of it, it is that it was the only medication that showed any positive effects on this condition. And, and with that comes the, the risks and, and, but you do your risk benefit analysis and, and we're, we're all in this group willing to, <laughs> willing to try anything to make things better for our children. It's a hard process to watch your kid go from being able to do everything to being full assist. So he was running. He was like last Halloween, he was running. He was walking, like he was still doing everything. So it's within a year, he's gone from being able to pretty much do everything except for navigate stairs without a hand to being full assist. He can't sit up. He can't stand. He can't feed himself. That's been a, <laughs> a pretty hard process for us to, <laughs> it's been a hard thing for us to process. You know, at, at two years old, your kid can do pretty much anything that they're supposed to be able to do. And now they can't. And watching the frustration in his, that he has, because he knew he could, he he understands that he was able to do this. Um, and now he can't. It's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. I'm at a loss to words. I am so <laughs> sorry that your family is no, going through this. You know, January, you got the diagnosis. You do your research. Your wife finds the group. And the group that Kyle's talking about is if you are a newly diagnosed family, please look us up. Although we're not doctors, we have had enough exposure to other doctors. So we point each other in the right direction. We 
we share similar experiences, although AGS has a wide spectrum of different cases. We, our kids are not alike, but they're similar. And so we, we um, support each other. That's the best word I can use, support each other. Um, so you hear about the jack inhibitors, and this, this is around when? Around what month is this? Yeah, probably around February is when we had a, a different neurology meeting. So yeah, it was probably February when we decided that that's a, a path we wanted to navigate. Yes, I love how you said something that we do almost with all the medicines because they're so young. Yours is, you said, a little bit over two years old. So we wait the risk analysis and say, you know, yeah. this is the, the only treatment out there. You know, let's go ahead and give it a shot and let's go ahead and proceed. And you decided this with your wife, um, but now it's acquiring it, right? And getting yeah. a hold of this medication. So tell me a little bit about that probably one of the most frustrating processes that I've ever had to go through. Um, so we had the initial, our initial neurologist knew about Jack inhibitors for this condition, but he was fairly unfamiliar with protocols and kind of what, what the process was. So he referred us to a different neurologist which was uh, Phoenix Children's Movement Neurologist. That neurology appointment, we saw him in February. I believe it was in February. And for the sole purpose that he knew more about Jack, Jack inhibitors for this condition. And that's what we were told by the other neurologist. So we go into this appointment wanting to start that process. I couldn't really get a good feel because we just met with him one time on whether or not he supported this treatment for the condition. Uh, along the way, I, and this is just my opinion, is that I don't think he really supported the, the, the treatment. Uh, we, I guess we know that there's several treatment options, most being just supportive care. And we were wanting to be a little bit more, I guess, aggressive with it to try to slow it down because we knew from what we were reading is that this medication kind of slowed the progression. We knew it wasn't going to take it. We, we knew it wasn't going to cure him or, or stop it. We just wanted to slow it down because we saw such a, such a quick degeneration of his skills, I guess, mm -hmm. just he lost so many skills so fast. And it's not like one day he was doing this. And then tomorrow he wasn't it, it kind of was a process. You don't you don't realize when he loses, or when they lose this skill versus this skill, and then it'll come back and then it'll kind of leave again. It was just kind of over a relatively short period he was losing skills and we weren't really noticing when he actually lost them. But at the end of it, we knew that he never, he no longer had them. We were wanting to be fairly aggressive with trying to slow this, the, to try to retain as many skills as we could. At the end of that appointment, he was saying the neurologist was saying that, yeah, you know, this is a, this is a treatment that we can look at, you know, there's certain risks associated with, with the treatment. And we were aware of those before the, 
before the appointment, we had done our research on on kind of what the what the treatment looked like and we thought that everything was in place and we knew it was going to be kind of difficult to get the medication through what he said, but he made us feel fairly comfortable that he was, he had done that process several times is what we thought with being in the field that he's in getting medications approved for these kids that, that were off, off label. Long story short, we had probably five denials over probably almost five months, kind of how long it took us to seek other neurologists. So in that process, we spent hours, I spent hours on the phone with, with specialty pharmacies, prior authorization departments, insurance company. I mean, I was on the phone for probably at least 15 to 20 hours a week fighting with them, trying to understand why it was denied, submitted again, and kind of where we were in that process. And there was never a concrete answer about why it was being denied, only that it was off-label and it was expensive. From countless hours of conversations, that's the only thing that that we were given. The medication is expensive. It's off-label for pediatrics. We were looking at other options. You know, we knew that some pharmaceutical companies offer assistance when it's not covered by your insurance. And Lily has one of those, but it's for adults only. So we were kind of that that's another roadblock. So so we couldn't get any any financial assistance from Lily because he's under 18. It's off label, so the insurance company says we're not gonna, we're not gonna, uh, we're not gonna cover it. So, and and we have piles of of information. We we have hundreds hundreds of pages of of you know basically anything that was written on AGS and the use of jack inhibitors. We had printed out. We'd read them. We, we had highlighted and we had it ready to, to, to submit. And we're still in the process with the, the local neurologist. Local neurologist said, no, don't, you know, we, we don't need any of your information. We're going to, you know, they submitted. And probably about three, three, four months into the, into the denial processes, the insurance company finally told me that the neurologist wasn't submitting adequate information to get an, an approval. And that just floored me. They said he, he only submitted, I think, two single patient case studies and it wasn't adequate information, which four months into this, I'm wondering if it's the insurance company that's, that's causing the issues. And while yes, the insurance company has their their portion of this, I think that another portion was from our neurology team. And that was unacceptable to me. Yeah. <laughs> that, how, that how frustrating. It, and, and all the while we're watching Wyatt just regress. These regressions are, are just, you, you can't stop it. And that's what, 
that's what the frustrating part was is is there's a medication that could potentially slow this down and we can't get it and i didn't really have a before this you know we all know how insurance works and and we work hard to get our insurance benefits and we always think that insurance is there for our benefit, but it, it really did show me that the, the process is a little bit different than just that. It, it, and, um, that, that was also pretty hard for me to digest is that it, it, it's a business and they, they're, they're in this business to make money. And, um, this is an ex it's, it's an expensive medication and, and I learned quite a bit through this process that, um, and for those who are listening to us that have not gone through this or don't have to go through this, every single time you talk, you're talking to a different person, so you're almost <laughs> yeah. having to present the case all over again. Not only that, they probably never heard about AGS. No, and no, it's, they're hearing yeah. the kids age and that's even more alarming to them. And so it's, it's really frustrating because it's not like you're assigned a case manager where they're going to be like, you know what, we're going to take care of you from here on out. And it's, it's frustrating now that, you know, it was part with the medical professional and part with the insurance. And you're like, you say, you're at home already dealing with, um, other symptoms that he's having yeah. and you're just having, no, no, on top of that, you have your other responsibilities such as work. <laughs> and so forth. And, you know, it's, it's not the only medication and that's important for those who are listening to us. It's multiple medications, but this was a mm -hmm. key medication. Like you said, it's not a cure, but it's the treatment that has shown, you know, some results that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And that's really frustrating. So you're five months in trying to get this mm -hmm. approval and you find out that, you know, it's not all insurance. It's also medical. What did you and your wife decide to do at this point? In that process, I, I kind of skipped over this. We went to Philadelphia and, and went to, and saw the folks at CHOP. So that, that appointment I believe was in March or April. So we had, so we were already deep into the process of, of trying to get prescribed Jack inhibitors. And, and we kind of thought it was all set before our trip to Philly, but that kind of fell through for, I, it was, it was a confusing process. So we ended up, we thought we had a prescription for it. When we went to our appointment in Philly, we came back from Philly, not having a prescription for it. So we, we kind of, it was, it was a, it was confusing. And then we felt like we needed to start over. So we were having the same roadblocks. So I reached out to Patrick and Patrick reached out to Devin who is on the West coast. Um, uh, and was seeing a neurologist at children's hospital LA. And it's a little bit easier for us to drive to LA than it is for us to fly to Philly. They kind of cut some red tape, some waiting, and we actually were pretty, we were fast tracked to see Dr. Santoro. Um, and within a few weeks of reaching out to Patrick, we had an appointment and we saw Dr. Santoro, which has been a game changer. He understands the use of 
of Jack inhibitors for this condition. He's got, he's got at least one patient. I don't know about any, uh, any others, but I know that he's got at least one. Devin was, she was just the piece that we needed to see him. And, and it, she's been an advocate, um, a little, so is everybody else from this site, but they're, those are the two that kind of put us in contact with Dr. Santoro, who within a few weeks of that appointment, we had a prescription for four milligrams of, of Barry, which is not really where we wanted to be, but some is better than none. So, so within a few weeks of that appointment, we, it was still, it was still a process, but, but. I think they were a little bit more familiar with it and they submitted the right information and, and he was an advocate for, for the treatment pro the, the treatment. So we had started, um, and my wife has all of this documented when we started, but I know that we're about five months into our treatment and total. So we started with four milligrams and we were on four milligrams for three months. And we just started, uh, we're probably two months into six milligrams now. So because he was significantly lighter in weight when we first started, because he had stopped eating. So he wasn't eating anymore and, and he had lost weight which was kind of concerning to us. We were, we were fairly close to, to a feeding tube probably. Um, but we were working with, uh, um, a GI special, a GI doctor here who was able to prescribe us nutrition shakes, which had been a game changer. We started gaining weight with the nutrition shakes, which took a load of stress off of of meal times because he wasn't, he was down to eating like one or two different things and, and just wasn't, I mean, he selectively stopped eating the stuff that he didn't think he could eat. So this global weakness, this neuromuscular weakness, it's the swallow is affected by it too. Your swallow, your chew, everything is affected by this neuromuscular regression. So he was no longer wanting to eat solid foods, but the nutrition shakes that we were prescribed ended up fulfilling a majority of his caloric needs for the day. So we'd started gaining more weight back and, and it was a game changer. Um, we were just really fortunate that he still had the ability to use a straw and he was, so he was still able to swallow that liquid which was like for for quite a while of you know several weeks was a majority of his calories were through those nutrition shakes that that's that's scary and you said something that's key uh if you're unfamiliar with ags you may have seen many pictures and you see kids with some physical disabilities but it affects also internally you know, those internal muscles as well, such as the mm -hmm. skills of eating and swallowing. And it's, it's scary for any caregiver to know that, you know, one day they could be eating and the next day they might lose that skill. So I'm glad that Wyatt 
is able to to feed down different way maybe maybe it's not the solid food route but it's not the g2 route so that's oh also- and he's and he's back to eating a majority of the solid foods like we noticed we noticed almost immediately starting the medication that his appetite came back his um, so let me ask that question let me ask that question. yeah that's actually yeah. my next question how did you know that the treatment started working so it was really scary so i kind of skipped over this but right before we started his treatment uh he got covid so um probably during the process um we'd already seen santoro but we were in the process of trying to get an approval for the medication and he got covid and he got covid pretty significantly um and we were noticing a lot of regressions with that illness. We had a hard time controlling his fever with it for over a week. And um, I was really, really concerned. I reached out to Patrick. I'm like, hey, we we were panicking that he was <laughs> he, he was super sick and and we couldn't we saw this regression like this major regression starting and probably a week after COVID is when we started Barry, which I, I wish we had gotten an approval before because maybe we wouldn't have lost the skills that we did, but we noticed almost immediately those, you know, two, three, four days into it, we noticed global changes. We noticed that everything started like his dexterity started to improve his his diet or his appetite started to improve and i was i was texting patrick just almost daily that we were noticing different changes these global changes and he's like yeah that's you know it's not guaranteed that all kids are going to have that but we've seen that with a, a majority of the kids that start this medication is they have those global improvements, those changes, you can see that over the first few days, there should, you should start to notice some differences. And I I tell you, for the first couple of weeks, he's never been as chill and relaxed and, and like what, what a no, I don't want to say what a normal um, child would be like but we we noticed a huge difference in his irritability and and we weren't sure if that was because he was still trying to recover from covid or if it was the medication was actually doing its job so within the first couple of months we we noticed that he was almost back to where he was before he got sick um and because right before he got COVID was his first day on the treadmill at physical therapy and the harness and, and he, he just did so good. And, um, we were excited about that. Then he got really sick. And then he, after that, he started to scissor his legs a little bit more. And we noticed that there was, there was definitely some, some physical, um, symptoms that were lingering. So we're still dealing with the scissoring. We're still dealing with that. But for for a lot of it, you know, a lot of those symptoms had started to go back to before he was sick with COVID. 
So having the treatment, seeing the improvements, um, you know, finally getting the approval, how did that make you and your wife feel? What, what was well, going through well, y'all's minds? Well, it made us feel hopeful, but at the same time, it, it made us feel like we lost a chunk of time where we could have maybe seen less regression and you, you, you can't help, but, but think that, that you can't help, but think, what if we had this medication six months ago? What if we had this, you know, what if we knew about it and it was easier to get and, and if it wasn't such a process and more, maybe more genetics teams knew about it and kind of where to steer you. Like we felt like we were on an Island from the beginning, having to do all of our own research and having to do, having to be Wyatt's advocate, because there's really, we, we felt like we were caregivers as well as his only advocates and, and all, all parents, especially in, in, with conditions such as this, that's what you feel. You feel like you have to split your time between parenting and, you know, caregiving, parenting and advocating while we were seeing all of these improvements, you can't help but think, what if we got this six months ago, where would we be? And, and that's, that's a hard place to be. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's a dark place. You're like, well, what if, but, and, and, and you can't, you have to try not to, to think like that. And it's hard, but, um, I'm fortunate that we were, you know, able to start when we did. And I just wish it wasn't so much of a process because it, yeah, it's, it was, it was a, a very emotional process. You mentioned something key. Well, you, you, everything you're mentioning, it's, uh, it brings feelings and I'm sure other listeners can agree with this because one, you hear about this treatment, then you can't get it. Then you finally see it. You know, you have it at your house. You finally see improvements. Um, and, you know, improvements, when we talk about the AGS world, they might be, you know, like he starts to be himself, you know, maybe like he's, like we mentioned, he's not walking, but you see things, you're like, oh, you know, this is hopeful, you know. We, mm-hmm. we see improvements and here comes the the scary reality and that's, well, what if we don't have the medication tomorrow? And that's also a different dark place um, that unfortunately it's scary because it's not, it's not a guaranteed approval, right? No, no. And, and that's, that's, I don't, and we're dealing with that as we speak. So it's, as of yesterday, the insurance company has delayed our, our refill and it's, and we only got a six month prior authorization and we're at month five. Um, I don't know what happened with the prior authorization 
when we got the dose increase, but the insurance company said that we should have two weeks access of pills. So they're delaying the delivery by a week. And that's not the case. And, and having to, having to manage that and having to, I have to be on the phone now tomorrow trying to get medication because we're going to run out and it's not a medication that you can start and stop. And that's, and when you don't have a guarantee that it's, we, we waited five, six months to get the initial prescription approved. And now we've had it for six months and tomorrow, I don't know if we're going to get the medication that we need until they, they send us, you know, the, his next, you know, and they, and they wouldn't send us multiple months. So we, we have to, we have to, we have to trust in, in the mail system and the, and the delivery system that we're going to get the medication month to month. So it's not like we get six months and we, we have a guaranteed six months of medication. We get it every month. Yeah. They send it to us a week or so ahead of time, but we have to, what if it gets lost in the mail? What if it, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stress involved in, and once you have, you know, there's stress up to getting the medication. And then once you get the medication, the stress doesn't stop. Then you have to worry, you know, at the three month mark, if you have a six month prior authorization, you have to worry about, well, now I have to start the process all over again. And I have to kind of think about what happens when they deny it. And, um, so there's there's a lot of stress that's involved in it but but we as as parents in this world know that this is <laughs> this is the only medication that the these kids can take that that shows a positive effect for this condition so yeah. it's this is our unfortunately our reality uh, but it, it doesn't it doesn't need to be like this that's the also the the thing that's most frustrating it does not have to be like this but it is like this and it does not have to be like this if we had support from pharmaceuticals for one you know <laughs> yeah so so and we're parents and and like desperate parents to to get this in any way we can but you look at you look at how much it costs and I, I asked the pharmacy how much it costs if I pay cash and it's $12,000 a month. And I, I don't know, there's not very many people that have an extra $12,000 a month just sitting around. I, it's, it makes it unattainable um, without without the benefits that we worked so hard to, to get. So that, and that's another, that's, that's a frustrating part because I thought about that. It's like, well, I know how much you're billing, but if I pay cash, is it, 
any less? And they're like, no, if you want to pay for it out of your pocket, it's $11,992 or whatever they said. So, and, and there again, it makes it, it makes it unattainable even for two people with really good, with, with decent jobs, you know? So, so that's, that's just a frustrating part and, and, makes it Kyle I'm so sorry that you have to deal with this now it's it's something I do not wish you had to deal with well and and what this is and and we're not we're not alone like this is not like an isolated incident this is there's there's documented incidents that you know within our group that are exactly like this it's it's not just us yes exactly it's so so if we would have if we have any um medical professionals or insurance employers that you know their job is to help with approval process and you know they were listening to this podcast what would you like to say with them or what would you wish they understood what would be your your words to them well well, I guess first and foremost, the people that are sitting behind the desk making the decisions whether or not they're going to cover it or not, put yourselves in our shoes. Put yourselves in in the shoes of parents that need to get medication for their children that they can't get. It's it's you you feel so helpless that this is this is the only thing that that can help your your child. And uh it's, I, I, I begged the people that I was talking to for hours on the phone to try to put themselves in our position when all they're doing is they're, they're putting your situation into, into an algorithm on whether or not they're going to say yes or no. And when they say, well, it's off label. So the answer is no, that, that to me is like, I guess we're at neat and and this the 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 survey that we sent out for or the petition that we sent out for for signatures to get Lily to consider um, meeting with the FDA and trying to get the get the classification changed for children. It's it's so incredibly frustrating hearing adult protocols that are are approved for this medication. It, it's so frustrating that that those are approved and we can't get this medication for our children that have a neuromuscular degenerating condition that's going to render them totally helpless. And, and it's just unreal to me that that there's not more consideration to to try to make this more attainable for this population. I understand it's a small population, but it's it's a population that desperately needs this this medication. Yes, yes. No. I agree with everything you said and I really hope that if anyone out there is listening to this podcast they can really um 
think about how they can help us prior to, you know, just plugging it into the algorithm, you know, if they can go a little bit above and beyond to help us, I would really ask them to please consider that. Um, now, let me ask you, what about the parents who are newly diagnosed, the parents that who just got the diagnosis of their kid? What words of wisdom or advice would you give to them as they're hearing those devastating news that you and I have both heard about our kids? Oh, um, I, I guess just understand that there's, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs with this, but there's so many knowledgeable people, uh, that have, that have been there before. And that's, and that's what's helped us is that there's, there's people in this group that, that are so well educated in this condition and the treatment protocols and and while this this world is small there's so many so many people that can offer you know assistance through experience and um just to yeah, i guess just to to stay positive it's, it's tough out there, but um, unfortunately, um, and fortunately, you're not the only one out there that's going through this. So seek for those who are going through similar situations and, and uh, we'll share experiences and just like Kyle got some help from the community. You know, if anyone can lend you a hand, we will lend you a hand and assist you in any way we can because we don't want you to be going through this. That's our that's our wish. We don't we really wish you were not going through this. And um, the last question I have for you, Kyle, is if your wife, if your son, if anyone close to close to you that you, um, that you have today were to listen to this podcast, do you have any words to say to them um, in regards to your journey and why it's journey? Oh, I, I mean, this journey would be impossible without my wife. I mean, she has just been a rock and it's, it's a hard, it's a hard journey and you just need a lot of support and, and it's, you, you have to lean on each other. Um, you have to lean on, on the ones that, that support you. And I just, I just want to thank everybody in this, um, community has, has just been an asset and, and just very thankful for everybody. Kyle, I'm really thankful you shared your story today. And I'm um, I'm sorry we're meeting this way, but now oh, you can count it, on my uh, now you can count on me for anything. Now yeah. you know who I am. Yep. Um, and I mentioned this um, prior to jumping on this video with you to my audience that the stories that I'm we're sharing they're they're really close to our hearts because you know we're going through um, very similar paths and we don't wish this on anybody and we feel for each other's kids so much. We see each other's kids on other families with other families. So I'm, 
I'm thankful that you're taking time out of your busy day because like you said, we have limited time, but I'm thankful that you're taking the time to, to speak to other parents, to speak to other professionals and share your story. And I really hope that Wyatt gets his medication as soon as possible, overnight delivery, rushed, yeah. <laughs> prioritized. Yeah. We know we know all the keywords, right? Um, yeah. Because he needs it. He needs it. And um, and um, I haven't met Wyatt yet, but uh, maybe I will in the future. Okay. I can. Do you want to? Do you want to meet him? I can go and get him. If if he's up for it. If, if he's not, yeah, then don't I'll... worry about it. Uh... Hi, Wyatt. Hey, hi. <laughs> This is Wyatt. Nice to meet you. Hi. He's so precious. If you're just listening to this, you have to go on the video and watch Wyatt. He's gorgeous. Sorry. No, it's okay. Wyatt, it's so nice to meet you. Say, it's nice to meet you. Say, thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. And for those of you listening, you have to watch the video. He's precious. And Kyle, please thank your wife for the time as well. And we'll be in touch, okay? Yes, we will. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Bye, Wyatt. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye.